Hey, Tony. Hey, Phil. What's going on? Uh, why is the dingometer still on standby? Oh, I can't log on. I forgot my password. Ask for a reset. Yeah, I did that, then they sent it to my laptop. Sorted. Well, what's the problem? Oh, I can't remember my laptop password. Then ask for a reset. Yeah, I did that, and then they sent it to the dingometer. Ah. Welcome to the Dingometer, where we investigate ways of creating awesome learning experiences. In this episode, our guest is Dr. Aditi Saxena. Aditi is an Associate Professor of Media Education based in New Delhi, India, and she's a creative educator who's done lots of work in the area of intercultural communication. Throughout the pandemic, Aditi has been promoting the importance of empathy in designing effective online and blended learning. Now, shortly after Phil and I recorded this interview with Aditi, she sadly contracted COVID and it was touch and go whether she would make it. But I'm very pleased to report that Aditi survived. And we'd just like to take this opportunity to say a huge thank you to doctors, nurses and carers everywhere for the incredible work that they've done over the last year in supporting people with COVID. You're absolutely wonderful people. So our conversation with Aditi produced many light bulb moments. And some of the key ones were firstly how we have to address the issue of unequal access to the internet and digital devices if we're going to eradicate the gap between those who can afford to access education and those who cannot. And then as we move through the pandemic, we have to teach students how to be more self-sufficient and more able to self-create opportunities for employment. Then that content specialism and research credentials are no longer enough to be an educator in the post-COVID era. Teachers really need to practice and facilitate community as well. And that's not just among students, but that's between staff and faculties too. And then also that planning for cultural difference should really be the starting point in any learning design and that we need to acknowledge and value the differences in our students, start from that when we're designing learning, respect their identities, accept them with empathy and then create trust by showing interest in their cultural backgrounds. So lots of things to unpack through the discussion. Let's get on with the podcast. So Aditi, huge welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's, it's really exciting to be able to talk with you because you've done a lot of work in the area of intercultural uh, competence and intercultural teaching. And we, we really wanted to talk with you about your experience of this in relation to online learning and particularly what's happened over the last 12 months. So could you start by telling us um, what has been your experience over the last 12 months about moving to online? What, where did, what did it all start for you and what were some of the challenges that you experienced? Thank you, Tony. I think... Um... I'm happy to share my experience with you. And uh, I think it's a very interesting uh, phenomena, you know, because uh, we all are uh, suddenly in, uh, uh, during uh, March and April, we were informed that uh, colleges are closed and we have to work from home. Uh, so I just wanted to give you an example. Like It's like something uh, we are moving from print to digital. That means uh, the newspaper was in the print. Suddenly, uh, digital media newspaper transformed from print to digital. So we all can remember the initial days of the digital newspaper was nothing but the print, exactly the copy. (laughs) And uh, on that time, uh, the designers, the content uh, designers, or any any stakeholder who is associated with this transformation, they could not realize that it is a different medium. it has a different language. They thought, okay, fine. Let me make the print copy to the digital. Same thing happened with us also. We were 
absolutely confident in our uh, classroom lecture. We know how to deliver, how to understand students' uh, pulse, their vibes. Suddenly, we are online. So um, I think the interesting thing uh, is that that uh, uh, instead of you know only sharing my own experience, which is very personal, very individual, I think I would also like to tell you that I'm fortunate enough that during this time I spoke with almost 15 to 20 professors globally, and all the videos are there on my YouTube. Most of the professors shared a very interesting thing. Point number one. Um, it was a time for crisis. It's not only education. We are only considering the education, but we are not considering that uh, a student, parents are not losing their job. They are insecure. They are at home. Uh, some of them probably stay in a single room with a lot of family members. Uh, they don't have the gadgets. Right. So I think there are many issues. I hope uh, both of you accept my point of view, like digital divide, gender gap, uh, domestic violence. Right. All these things uh, were more prominent during this time. And we, being an educator, I think uh, we realize that it is not only delivering the content. It is like more empathy, understanding the situation. So uh, what I can say, I can, in one line, I can conclude that it was a learning for the teachers. We learn uh, technically. That means how to use uh, all the online platforms, LMS, and how to connect, which we call it convergent. I think this is the time when we are equipped. We know how to convergent, how to connect all the more devices and everything. At the same time, I think teachers came to know how to be empathetic with the student. That is uh, learning, empathy, inclusion, all these things are connected and it is a very complex phenomenon. Yeah. I think I, every day I challenge myself and it is not only you, I think all of us challenge ourselves that how to cope up with this situation, whether it is technology, or whether it is a human-centric issue. I think it's a, such an important point, Aditya, in that we've gone from the situation where the tutor is often the, 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 the most knowledgeable person, what's it, the, the more knowledgeable person in the classroom, and has a clear idea of what should be happening. And because of the move to online, that, that very quickly became uh, turned upside down, and, and the tutors have had to, all tutors have had to, to think about learning in a different way, and certainly, and, and globally as well. I think, you know, it has been a shock to a lot of people to have to adapt different ways of working, but also it opens up a lot of opportunities, I think. And you're right, this is what makes it hugely complex because it gets to the intersection of learning design, inclusivity, internationalization, intercultural competence, and what should be happening in a classroom, should in inverted commas. So, I mean, you've mentioned some of the, the, the immediate issues that, that um, Tutors experienced around uh, having to empathise more with students and understand their situations. What what else have, have been the, the the key things that we've learned this year about intercultural learning, and particularly as students have been learning more globally, students have moved around a lot more. What are some of the perhaps the, the benefits of the move to online, but also some of the challenges in your view? Okay, so I think uh, this is a time when uh, we all learn a lot many things, and the most interesting thing is. Uh, the concept of global village 
is now absolutely implemented in the classroom, in the virtual campuses. Um, I can't even imagine to approach a, a professor from United States when I don't have a budget. But now at this moment, uh, we all connected with each other. We are ready to support each other. We are ready to share our knowledge with the students. So I think this is one of the very interesting thing I observe that the education fraternity, this, they, they actually connect with each other, whether it is language, whether it is a different community. So this is a, one of the very interesting intercultural uh, learning what we have. That means we have started learning, exchanging from each other. I never thought that, you know, I sit with you and I discuss that, uh, okay, Tony, what kind of problem you are facing in your class? And you can tell me that what kind of problem you are facing in your class? Because um, uh, in a physical mode, we were more um, rigid. We were more uh, selective. That means we thought, okay, should I call this person to my country? And then, of course, we are restricted by the budget. That means there is a huge thing is budget. How that person come to from India to United States or London or some other places? Uh, that thing has gone. Second thing, which is very interesting, that as I every time I told you that academia is not corporate world. We are fixed in our thought process. We know even changes happen in academia very slow. Now, this pandemic taught us that within a mouse click, we have to change ourselves because it challenged ourselves. So this is a one of the one intercultural context I can tell you that um, uh, in terms of content, we shared with each other. There are a lot of platforms which was open to us, which was not earlier there. Uh, all uh, leading universities open their door for the resources. Uh, then you consider all this since we are from the creative domain like Adobe. They offer free license because they know the students are at home, faculty members are at home. How they are going to teach the software? I cannot buy Adobe collection. I don't have a budget with me. And do my university have a budget to offer me the Adobe collection to five faculty members? No, we don't have. We are able to share knowledge with each other. We are able to share our uh, resources with each other. And that is ultimately the end of the intercultural communication. You're absolutely right. That's what's really exciting about this is that uh, the, well, the crisis, the pandemic has opened up the opportunity for new pedagogies and new ways of thinking. And I feel that's something you and I've been talking about is that what are the opportunities that, that digital opens up and move, the, the more move to online opens up. But, but Phil, I'll come to you with this. So what what do you think tutors need to anticipate more of as we move more into this sort of hybrid approach and, and as we grapple with this move to campus? I mean, based on this, the move to, to online and the move back onto campus, what are some of the things that, that tutors need to be more mindful of as we, we try and achieve this new blend of, of online, offline, uh, hybrid hybrid mode, do you think? That's a question to me. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think one of, the, um, one of the interesting things is that because the pandemic has been so, because everyone's had a different pandemic, 
Um, and I think that that for that reason, a lot of educators, I think, cannot wait for the pandemic to be uh, a thing of the past in that respect that I think there's probably two schools of thought going on, probably more. I know that there's a whole group of academics who cannot wait for things to go back the way they were. And and Tony and I are having some chats about that that's a nice idea, but uh, it's never going to happen exactly that way. But the idea that, um, I mean, just listening to uh, Aditi as you were talking, um, listening to your huge um, optimism and your positivity about the idea of barriers um, suddenly sort of being reduced and the ability for this much more porous relationship between academics. And I, I, this sort of what I'm going to say now feels like it should probably come towards the end of the podcast because it's a bit more sort of geopolitical. But I think what's been also been fascinating to watch with the pandemic um, is the way that people have retreated into themselves as well. And I think if you look at sort of the rise of popularism, if you look at things like Brexit in the UK, where um, the relationship between sort of that breezy relationship between one institution working in another institution, um, if you look what's happening with the vaccine, if you look at the way that borders are coming up um, and that things are becoming even more siloed, it's fascinating to me that there is kind of like this, um, there's this tension going on where there is a, a new freedom and at the same time people are uh, burrowing back into things and, and seeking to sort of um, um, renormalize and sort of police boundaries. And, you know, in this country too, there's a, there's a big conversation about a culture war going on between um, more progressive ideas around um, um, uh, multi-ethnicity, decolonizing the curriculum. There's, um, there's, there's a sort of a big pushback going on. Um, and it feels like the pandemic is, is like a snow globe um, and it's just shaken everything up. And and, and in to speak to Tony's question, the way it's settling down, I think, is increasingly revealing some of those tensions around people wanting to move forward into a into a more global world and people wanting to retreat. So I just wondered what your what your thoughts were ab about that. Okay, uh, I think uh, it's absolutely right. You are. Uh... I agree with you that um, I always see the <laughs> positive side of the world. <laughs> this is the way. But uh, yeah, you are you are absolutely right, right. See, the thing is, uh, there are multiple aspects, right? One thing I would like to see that um, um, if I, you know, move my eyes from the way normally I see the world. There is a circle within a circle. There is a conflict within a conflict, right? So what we call it nested conflict. Like, uh, let me share my personal experience. And uh, today also I was just chatting with one of my very dear colleague who has just left the organization, joined some other university. That a very senior colleague, a very senior professor was asked to leave the university because um, uh, all the departments in different universities, they were asked to reduce 10% of their academic staff. And, uh, you know, it is not vice chancellor who told that you remove X, Y, Z. It is the departmental head. It is the different level of stakeholders took the decision. 
So I am coming to your point slowly, gradually from my way that um, now this kind of decisions definitely divide us. We cannot unite with each other. Uh, as for the post-pandemic, say, um, since I'm from the media school, I can say the media is very smart. They are saying a uh, new normal. Again, a very positive, exciting approach of new normal. And I just did a project of talking with five to six uh, professors globally that how they consider the new normal. But it is not new normal. It is a normal with lot of question marks. Right. And uh, this normal uh, not only challenges in terms of uh, knowledge or in terms of, of how we are delivering our content in hybrid mode, but it also challenges our uh, identity, who we are. I, Dr. Aditi Saxena, in PhD in communication, do I have a job opportunity after two, three years? Are we, are, am I going to uh, continue the position of uh, PG program leader? There is a huge question. And um, I was just wanted to say one very interesting thing that I just spoke with a professor from Bangladesh. You know Bangladesh. So uh, uh, it's a third world country. India is a much more better condition. We have uh, our internet and connectivity is really good. Um, initial six months in Bangladesh, just understand, uh, sorry, initial three months, they were not able to offer education to the student because there was no internet connectivity. Students were went back to the rural area. Now see the differences. It is a statement by a government college. You know government college, that means the college which is sponsored by the government, state government. And we have a private colleges. This is more like business oriented. They are quickly start their online session. So what we are doing in the same country, we are creating two different group of students, a group, those who are, uh, can afford that high expensive education and another group, those who are intelligent enough, but not able to afford that education, they are six months back. So I think uh, you are absolutely right. I, what I can see that uh, in the post-normal era, or we can say post-COVID era, instead of using new normal, I, I am deliberating avoiding this word new normal, um, I think uh, we need to learn a lot many things. And uh, I think the profile, the career, what we have is going to be changed drastically. And same thing, I think we also have to teach our students that how they are going to survive. And I think there will be less job, more self-created opportunity. That means I think we have to... And one thing also I would like to say that uh, politically things are uh, drastically changing. It is not only the education. Education is not something which is isolated from the world. Education is something which is related to the 
inclusion related to the politics related to the culture so when we talk about intercultural communication or internationalization then uh, we cannot ignore the political aspect of the country right um, so we um, i just want to conclude with one line that in my university we offer a course called 3c 3c that is three continent so the students study uh, six months here, then they move to UK, then they move to USA, then they come back to India. And for this course, students are paying really a handsome amount. These students are not able to go to UK. They are learning online from the UK professors. Do you think that sitting in my drawing room learning online will give me that kind of exposure what I can get after moving over there. So I think, uh, and they are challenging the university. And I think I spoke with one professor from Cairo University. She told that students are raising voice. They are saying we don't want to pay so much of amount yeah. for the online courses. So I think we academicians do not know how to address this conflict. No, that's a hugely important point, Edity, and, and you're right, it's it's very current and very topical because there is this huge debate around value in higher education and and is what is the equivalent value that we can offer students if they're if they're working online mainly, should they be paying as as much fees? And and that's that's a very unresolved question. And it's gonna be very interesting, I think, for the sector to to have to negotiate that. You know, what what is the value of a degree if you are largely learning? online and to what extent do you have to then differentiate that but i think if we if we look at curriculum design particularly because i know this is something that, that, that you've done a lot of work on as we move into this post-covid world let's call it post-covid let's say not new normal and we and we start to think about more of a a hybrid approach or, or we think, start to think about what education might look like or, or have to look like as we as we go through these series of lockdowns closing down opening up we have to develop more of a blended approach, a hybrid approach. What what are some of the guiding principles for curriculum design to make it more responsive or more intercultural based on what we've learned? In your view, what do you think if you if you're writing a new program of learning or if you're redesigning a course in 2021, 2022, what should that course be seeking to address? What are the principles that should be guiding that, that redesign? I think um... I'm working on a uh, on a one course this time, and I think uh, the one interesting thing what I observe after reading many research and many conclusion that uh, I would like to reduce the theory. Uh, I wanted to make the courses uh, more uh, more practical. Okay. Uh, um, and I also would like to make the courses more student-centric. When See, this word is not a new word. We have been using this word for decades, student-centric. But actually, the classroom, the curriculum are not student-centric. It's more like delivery from top to bottom. So the one thing what we are paying attention more for, we are working on the students' learning outcome and program learning because I think um, this thing needs to be uh, reoriented completely. Whatever we have written before the pandemic cannot work right now. 
And another thing which is very challenging and which we are actually brainstorming, um, when we say hybrid, half of the students are still at home. Half of the students come to the classroom and the professor delivering the both group together. And one group who are there in their room, home, and another group. So at this moment, I think we should pay more and more attention to um, designing a curriculum where they are able to learn by their own. They're able to search by their own and they come up with the solution. That means I think more and more we should pay attention on cases, problem solving uh, things. And we also give them a very structural resources because at this time, both group, uh, again, there will be a conflict if we are not able to give them a structural resources. So I think at present, I, I really don't know what will be the right answer. I, I am really sorry because I have been also learning. I've been reading, trying to understand what to do. But one thing I can understand that um, first thing, every curriculum should have a flexibility of 10 to 20 percent when the professor can change the curriculum based on the group of the students or based on the mode of delivering the content, which normally universities uh, do not offer this kind of flexibility. So I think one, I would suggest that every curriculum should have the kind of flexibility where uh, we can create some uh, flexibility for our students, the learning flexibility. And the second thing what I would uh, suggest that uh, at this time, we should focus more and more hands-on practice, you know, because uh, I don't think so that students are able to connect with the theory because uh, in every courses, we used to have industry visit. We used to have uh, many things like uh, we asked the student to go to meet uh, industry professional and get an interview or stay in a, uh, in a design lab and see how they are working. Do you think at this moment we are able to offer them this kind of facilities? No. So that means whatever things are mentioned in our curriculum is, uh, is going to be obsolete. So um, I think I would like to uh, conclude like this way that uh, it is a more hands-on practice, more student-centric, more cases, more case study. And uh, we should create more and more interesting assignments where they can actually learn their problem-solving ability. And the last point is we should and must work on our program learning, um, you know, all the things. And of course, our rubrics. The rubrics, what we are using, the assessment rubrics, need to be changed. It cannot be the same. Oh, that's, that's super interesting, Editi, and, and particularly this idea of designing in flexibility, which is often quite difficult in curriculum design, but that's part of the art of good curriculum design, I suppose, is, is writing outcomes in such a way that they are fixed, but also allow for flexibility. And Phil, I wanted to come to you in a minute just to, just to talk about the, the role of community in all this. But it's interesting, Aditi, you're talking about this idea of um, uh, what are these guiding principles? And I think your point about theory is really interesting to me because I suppose because I, I teach a lot of theory. I, I, I do use theories a lot in my teaching, but I use them as tools to help 
trainee teachers understand different ways of uh, approaching problems, solving problems. So I think what for me, what's what's come out of this whole last 12 months and the pandemic is is the importance of actually talking about why you're doing what you're doing and, and foregrounding your pedagogy. And and like you say, sort of talking about things like how can you design in more flexibility? Theories such as flipping the classroom and, and Carl Rogers theory of empathy, empathizing with students, all of these things suddenly seem to have taken on a, a new meaning because they, they're suddenly a lot more practical than they were. They were sort of ideas that, oh, it's great to flip the classroom, but only a few people would do it if they were interested. But now it, it's clear that because of some of the issues that you're talking about, like you say, access to to devices or access to, to internet at certain particular times, things like flipping the classroom at least give students more ownership of their curriculum. And I think empathy, again, is another thing where if, if tutors are more able to empathize with students uh, and, and the different situations they're learning in, then that, that's also much more important than when well, it was important to start with, but it's even more important now to ensure that we can deliver student-centered learning. But one of the things that Phil and I have done quite a lot of work on recently is, is this idea of community, because in this move to the move to online, one of the things that we've lost is the social aspect of learning. Um, we've, we've, we've been able to replicate content and deliver content, but, but it's the social bit that's, that's been lost. And Phil, I wanted to just ask you a little bit really about, because of your experience of, of community building, what, what do you think uh, are, are some of the things that, that, or how might curriculum design be uh, more, um, be adapted to be more able to incorporate community? Or, uh, what do you think is the role of community, uh, I suppose, going forward uh, as, as we move into to new curricula? I mean, one of the uh, obvious answers, or the one that seems most obvious to me, is that you produce the conditions under which collaboration is central. So if you want your people in their little sort of boxes, like now, um, you know, to uh, engage uh, together to break down those sort of virtual barriers, is that you you design activities that facilitate that. But... Uh, the caveat around collaboration is is that, and I've talked about this before with Tony, but um, collaboration is one of the things that is most requested by external examiners and um, people thinking about how people learn. And I think it's also one of the things that students are most reluctant to do, is my experience. Um, they're not reluctant to do it conceptually, but when they sort of have to suddenly learn how to speak truth to power to their own peer group or actually work with each other that it's it's a it's actually a very complex negotiation and unless you're facilitating those negotiations and you're teaching into the skills of collaboration i've seen collaboration go terribly wrong because um it is just one of those things that people say off you go off you pop go and collaborate and then disaster follows because no one knows how to do it um, so I think if you were sort of trying to engage the power of community to produce those conditions for collaboration, that's a big design project there. That's that's an absolute meticulous nuts and bolts job of ensuring that your students feel equipped and ready and have the confidence and the um, understanding of, I don't know, um, what it means, you know, to admit to the to, to admit to the discomfort of collaboration, to teach to the uh, dissonance of disagreement, as opposed to expecting students to be good at it. I think you should expect people to be um, to find it hard because I don't know about you, but I 
my successful co collaborations now come from people I know and work with for a long time, which means that a lot of that negotiation and a lot of that learning has been done and has been taken for granted. But I think that if you want a community to collaborate, you have to create a unit about what does collaboration mean and how how does it work so that would be that's you know other, otherwise it's a it's a recipe for disaster and i've seen it done so many times where people just say we want more of this collaboration this magical thing because it's great and it's like actually when it goes wrong it can blow a course apart it can blow a student group apart and it can change the weather in a student cohort for three years so so i think collaboration is to, is 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 exceptionally important and technically very demanding in terms of curriculum design to deliver and for teaching um so so that that would be one answer but also peppered with caveats yeah. <laughs> it's like it would come down to curriculum design but Aditi, you're nodding a lot so i'm going to be quiet and see uh, I, you're obviously nodding because you go yes i know i know about that <laughs> because <laughs> i think it's a very very interesting way you have explained um you know i think uh, uh, today it's very important you know when we talk about a few words nowadays it's a it's a very common words like um, okay problem solving empathy collaboration it's like uh, you can do it in a very quickly but it's not possible we we have to teach our student and i think it's a great answer what you <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really important point. It's something that, that I wanted to, to ask you, Aditi, which was, I suppose, obviously we're, we're based in the UK, you're based in India, and we're involved in quite a lot of debates at the moment around internationalisation, internationalising the curriculum. And it, I, I'm always seeking to find uh, good advice to give to tutors about how better to support international students uh, coming to the UK with... Uh, with all aspects of, of their experience, but really how to integrate into the into the curriculum, how to feel part of it, how to get the most out of it. So in your experience, what are some of the things that, that we could do better in the UK when, when students from India come to the UK? What are some of the common things that they struggle with uh, because, because tutors in the UK aren't aware of how to support Indian, Indian students, would you say? What, what are some of the common stories that you get told by your students about coming to the UK that we can learn from that perhaps we don't often hear? Okay, so um, I think my uh, students normally, what they realize after coming here, uh, the first thing is cultural difference, right? So I was reading a very interesting article, if I, I will try to share with you. Uh, so basically, in the class, in our cultural class, the professor wanted to discuss something, uh, the gender and sexuality. Now, you know how Asian countries, how we think, how we consider the, how the whole idea, the perception, what we have, and how the UK, uh, absolutely a different kind of thought process. So when uh, it was a very interesting thing that professor told that before explaining again uh, the use of empathy, the professor told that, okay, fine, I'm going to discuss this topic. However, I'm not expert in this topic. It might be possible that in this class, there are different uh, intercultural students here. So we are open to learn and we are open. So it is more like a discussion. 
So, uh, see, one thing is very clear. When students from India, from China, they moved to UK because they wanted to learn. They wanted to equip themselves with the global market. And that is the reason they wanted to go over there. However, when they reach over there, the first thing what they realize that um, everything is very Anglo-centric. Right. Starting from the teacher to food, the way people greet each other, it is completely different. So I think this is a challenge, what they are learning. And there is no question of criticism. There is no question, no space is there that they don't want to learn. But probably they need support. And they also need that their identity should be resting. So let me come back to your point, right? So what I think that um, when student, any international student, and especially I'm talking about Asian context, because this is what I know very well. When Asian student come to UK, uh, they are mentally ready to le learn, to adopt the culture, to adopt everything. That is what they are excited for. But I think it is more important to accept them with empathy and we also give them a trust. You know, the professor need to have the trust, create the trust between the student and the teacher that we also interested, we would like to know your culture, your thought process. And I think that is the way the whole approach of internationalization is diversity. And as we have already discussed that collaboration is not an easy job. So when we try to collaborate diverse people, let's say if I want to collaborate with one of my colleagues to whom I've been working from last 10 years, I don't think it's a big deal for me. I will face problem, but not now. But if tomorrow I want to collaborate with both of you, I have to work. We three has to work because we uh, there are a lot of conflict, lot of differences, lot of gaps which we have to fill. So, um, and another thing of what I uh, uh, feel, what my gift students feedback that uh, the initial days obviously they all cleared the TOEFL and IELTS, but still there are many students those who are not comfortable with the, you know, the listening skill. So many times they are not able to understand what the professor is talking about. So I think this linguistic approach is very important. So I think uh, all the professors, those who are teaching internationalized students, including the curriculum, uh, need to pay attention. That's why I told that, that I love the way you have written your instruction online. I, I gone through each and every line. And instructions should be written in a very simple language. It is not that, that how, uh, you know, English is not our native language. So if I come across with a word which I can't understand, I am not going to open dictionary.com and see. I will lose my interest. So I think that one thing I really uh, always see that the simplicity in language and how we are communicating 
the whole gesture and body language is very important for a person to understand and get connected and we always talk about empathy but we don't talk about trust so i think uh, trust is also one of the very important factor with uh, not only with the international student with the domestic student also we have to gain that trust just before the podcast i looked at sort of the uh, the framework around the uh, intercultural teaching competency sort of like the various things and i used to although i was course leader i had specific responsibilities for for first year students and so my role was always to meet people who were at, if if you could say it, they're most diverse because essentially you know what happens on a course is that people start off um very diverse uh, in in terms of their confidences or their competences whatever it is and then and then if the course is working well you can draw people together you you draw people together and they build a community around the course and their identity starts to extend out to the course and you sort of have this this second identity which is um a prism that everyone shares and so that's what you're looking to do by by the end of that sort of first year process so i was looking at the um specific frameworks and i was thinking back to when uh, you know so i'm 46 so i was teaching and meeting people who were 19 18 19 and i was meeting people increasingly who were transgender non-binary um lgbtq plus uh, as well as international uh, you know and as well as neurodiverse so um people on the autism spectrum uh, dyslexia and i I, lo- I looked at the i'm looking at the um the guidelines and they're all a kind of like a ladder towards mindfulness they they're all um and i was thinking yes actually the 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 the, the interesting thing about the intercultural teaching competences is that they are essentially instructions for every first year tutor i've ever met you know they are they they work for for um every cohort of of student in so much as that really what you that i think there's that very interesting term in there around um positionality now i think that's a really good word because i've you know because i don't know about four or five years ago the word privilege was was used i think interchangeably with positionality and if you use the word privilege, you've got a whole bunch of academics who are suddenly, you know, triggered um, and feel criticised and feel that they are being, I don't know, um, that something about their identity is under attack. But the word positionality, that the idea that we all have a position, we can't help but have a position. We are, a, we have, we've been positioned by our upbringing. We've been positioned by our culture. Um, I, I began to use that word. Um, much more with colleagues and much more with students because I felt it was a very helpful neutral way to describe the fact that we were not the same um, which I know sounds obvious but somehow the use of the word positionality meant that you could get to the interesting conversation around practical measures as opposed to sort of people's identity coming under attack and, and so so when I when I looked at those um, competencies I felt yes that they are actually they would like all inclusive practices they would work for everybody you know they 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 are a, they are they are a, um an instruction kit to build successful relationships with pe- young people I mean at 46 it's like 
I don't know what some young people are doing. <laughs> you know, it's like they have come from another planet, not just another country. <laughs> so, so a lot of that, the advice in there was um, was something that I was, I suppose, instinctively knowing I had to get better at, just because my students were getting younger, I was getting older, and so it felt so. So that gap was opening up all the time. So it's interesting though, because I think what what comes to me through this discussion is that preparing tutors to work particularly in higher education you could argue in education more broadly requires an increasingly i want to say different skill set than perhaps what's gone before because all too often we get focused on delivering the curriculum and you're employed as a tutor because you have subject knowledge because you're a researcher because you've published papers or because you've got professional experience but increasingly and certainly as we go into this post-covid environment the things that are coming through are things like empathy, clear communication, um, being able to communicate well, being able to understand cultural difference. And that's a completely different skill set from being a content specialist. And, and it does strike me that in, in terms of preparing teachers or helping teachers to teach effectively in, in pretty much any context, that there is an increasing need to focus on mindfulness, self-awareness, um, awareness, uh, intercultural uh, awareness particularly so that so that we can teach more effectively and Aditi I wanted to ask you do, what else do you think we we should or we need to be um, equipping tutors with as we move into this post-covid world what are some of these skills and competencies that tutors really need over and above their subject knowledge uh, I think Tony it's a very important point that uh, we are content specialists I think I love this word because uh, most of the professors are uh, having good content knowledge and obviously they have their research credential. But these two skills are now not enough in post-COVID era. So um, what I personally feel that uh, we should uh, pay more attention or we should try to learn some uh, allied field, like um, uh, like the ancient practices, right, which connect people, like I told you that circle, the practice of circle in the class. And uh, when we talk about community, I think uh, teachers should be also practice this community among each other. Because uh, I, I don't know whether I should say or not, but it is prominent that the conflict is also visible among the teachers. I am I'm sorry to say that, but in many cases we saw even the division department to department, like the science department think that they are superior and the social science department think that we are more creative. So this kind of mindset, what I'm saying, that we have to work more on our mindset as a teacher. I think, uh, I think teacher has to be, you know, ready to share with each other. They're ready to learn with each other. And post-COVID era, this is one of the strong stepping which we have to take, that we should be open to learn from each other. 
Aditi, I think that's a fantastic place to, to bring us to a close. I think we've just developed a list of a new teacher training list of all the skills that, that teachers need in a post-COVID era. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time today, for joining us on the podcast. It's been absolutely wonderful talking with you. And thank you, Phil, for joining us as well with wonderful questions. Thank you.